Welcome to Terrograms. Hi, I'm Craig Vazone, and I'll be your host for the fourth delivery of Terrograms. Today, I'm joined by Jane Amidon at the Ohio State University Knowlton School of Architecture. Jane is an assistant professor and graduate faculty member in the Landscape Architecture Division. She's also the principal of Amidon Design Communication. Jane, welcome to the show. It's really great to have you. The latest book you've edited has yet to be released. It's on Ken Smith, Landscape Architects, Three Urban Projects. Go ahead. I don't need to get it, but I don't know how to turn it off. Hello, this is Jane. Hey, Mom, can I call you right back? <laughs> yes, I'm actually being interviewed for a podcast. Perfect. Thank you. Bye. I'm sorry. If I figure out how to turn my own phone off. That's okay. We can. <laughs> We can just clip that up. Okay, we'll start over. Um, not actually, all the way over. Uh, before you go, that book did come out. It did come out. Yes, ah, okay. and now we have Peter Walker coming uh, Pete out Walker. this spring. Peter Walker. And he his is on the Nasher uh, Sculpture Garden in Dallas. Okay. The latest book you've edited has yet to be re- released. It's on Peter Walker and his work of the Nasher Sculpture Garden in Dallas. When will we see it? We are hoping that it will be published. Its pub date will be sometime this spring, probably April, perhaps May. And have you been working long on the book? Well, uh, it's a very long-term process that involves first a graduate seminar and then secondly uh, editing uh, 36 hours worth of transcriptions (laughs) and then thirdly meeting with the uh, subject in question, this time Peter Walker, (laughs) Uh, several meetings during which we discuss uh, sort of throw back and forth ideas or directions for the monograph, mm-hmm. and then the actual writing and putting together begins. So it's about a two and a half year process. Wow! And so you initiated the project in two thousand and four. He first visited for the graduate seminar in mm-hmm. spring two thousand four. Correct. And the graduate seminar is therefore the feeder to these yes. source books. Yes, they are. Yep. And the source books, whose idea were they originally? They were the idea of Robert Livesey, who uh, just stepped down as the director of the Norton mm-hmm. School. They parallel a series in our architecture, produced by our architecture department, called the Baumer series, mm-hmm. which I believe were conceived by uh, Jeffrey Kipnis and Rob Livesey. Mm-hmm. And when I arrived here, uh, the timing was sort of perfect. They were just wanting to get the... Uh, source books and landscape architecture going. I had some writing and publishing experience. Uh, the first visitor was Michael Van Balkenberg, somebody who I knew well from graduate school. Mm-hmm. So um, the pieces fell into place. Good timing for both of us. And then after the Van Valkenburg uh, edition, then there was Ken Smith. Correct. Yes. And did each of them take two and a half years to work on, or were some of them <laughs> shorter time frames? How many, how many do you have in process now? Uh, the Peter Walker, my role in it is, is, is pretty much over. I'm about to dive into a Grant Jones visit a year ago. So we're going to do the Ilaris program that Grant Jones developed with his office, Jones & Jones, mm-hmm. for um, the trust for 
public lands for the Puget Sound green print. Mm-hmm. I can tell you more about that. But we had uh, Michael Van Valkenburg and then Ken Smith. Mm-hmm. Each book, I will answer your question, has gotten... <laughs> The time it takes to produce them has gotten shorter and shorter. Sure. We, so we figured out the system. Originally, it was three, four years. <laughs> the Van Valkenburg was was almost three years. Wow. Yeah, but but I think well worth it. We we put some systems in place that have been working right. fairly well. Right. And will they sort of continue endlessly? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, for that? for me, no. I've stepped down. Mm-hmm. So last spring seminar, which was Grant Jones was my last, Mm -hmm. and this book produced on him will be my last. Mm -hmm. Um, A new faculty member that just joined us this fall will be taking over, and her first seminar will be this spring, Paolo Berge, Mm -hmm. Ah, you must know. Fellow Swiss (laughs) countrymen. Exactly. Uh, And that we're really looking forward to his visit. Mm. Do you think the four source books that you've worked on, do you think there are tissues that hold them together? As a collection? Yes. There are, I would say, attitudes that are common among them in terms of how information was arrived at and then communicated, but the particularities of the issues or the answers, I should say, that emerge are quite different. Mm -hmm. If you look at the work of Van Balkenberg versus Smith, the questions they're asking are so very different that those help steer the monographs in slightly different directions, diverse directions, but uh, there are similar attitudes in that Mm -hmm. across the board we are trying to get these significant figures in the practice of contemporary landscape architecture to consider so deeply their own work and precedence for their work that they reveal new information. Mm -hmm. So by (laughs) putting them through the ringer, uh, (laughs) i.e. the graduate seminar, in which they are forced to speak about themselves and their work for hours and hours and hours on end and be grilled by students and professors. We, we hope that they'll get off off their storyline, off, off uh, message, mm-hmm. and start to spill the beans on aspects of their process and their mm-hmm. work that they haven't really articulated before. Mm-hmm. In the graduate seminar, how is it run? How many days or hours does it take? Typically, these people visit for three times for two days each and we meet for about six hours a day so it's a total of up to 40 hours of in-depth conversation and we have the visits organized such that the first one is about broader ideas what are, what are your, your inspirations what is your history where did you come from how did you get into the position you are now the second visit give us an overview of projects that are important to your practice. And in the third visit, we focus in for two full days on a particular project, and that project is the focus of the monograph. Mm -hmm. Why do you take just one project for the monograph? I think to allow the conversation to get as deep as possible into the working, the inner workings of this designer, whoever it may be, uh, instead of trying to find similarities or disparities across a body of work, we touch lightly on that, and then we say, okay, mm-hmm. let's dissect this one piece. What were you trying to do here? What ideas persisted from the outset? What was shed along the way? Let's look behind the curtain. Has there been a continuity between the broad ideas 
and the individual project, or do you sometimes see a very strange relationship or um, sort of lack of relationship between the anomalies two? that pop up? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, speaking just from my experience with the Michael Van Valkenburg book, there were some beautiful consistencies between ideas that he'd been working on for decades and particular detailing detailed moments within the Allegheny Riverfront Park, which was a focus project. Some really beautiful arcs of big idea, work it out, finesse it, try it a different way, and here we see it. Um, With the Ken Smith book, his process is just so very different. He is extremely articulate uh, um, in explaining the roots of what he's doing, but then I I think with his work, anomalies do pop out. (laughs) He began, for example, with... Um, this is not in the book, but he did an installation here on the OSU campus called Dumpster Gardens. Mm. And it was an idea he began working on in Manhattan, trying to find provisional spaces for provisional gardens. Why not use dumpsters? People inhabit their doorsteps. They inhabit their fire escapes. They have window boxes. Why can't we use these larger-scale provisional containers? Uh, He looked at the history of contained gardens, paradise gardens. Um, by the time he got here, there were some weird twists on it. It had become, he was looking into vertical surfaces as potential green fabrics. He was looking at other ways of um, infilling, at a small scale, a campus or an urban landscape. And so his dumpsters had evaporated. They were still the dumpsters, but they became more objects that were located in relation to their context, mm-hmm. rather than objects that happen to be passing through mm-hmm. certain non-contextual objects that are just passing through an anonymous streetscape, as mm-hmm. a dumpster might do. Instead, he located dumpsters very carefully on their central, or sort of sacred central pedestrian space here. Mm-hmm. And what were the students' roles? You say they were seminars, so I assume that the students were participating. What? Like, what did they do? To varying degrees. <laughs> um, they were called on to basically be pins, and the visitors, the pin cushion, and we wanted them to poke, 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 and get this... Poor practitioners. Yes, I know. Well, well, some relished it. Peter Walker came in fully prepared. He was He's such a teacher at heart. Versus Michael, who I love dearly, came in, and he, you could just tell he was anguished. He did not want to speak about himself and be on the stand for for the seminar. However, uh, the, the student's role basically is inquisitor. <laughs> you need to uh, critically assess what you're hearing, ask for more information, question, question, question. Um, we've met with varying success with that. I, mm-hmm. I find as the instructor for these seminars, often it ends up being a conversation between myself and the visitor. Mm-hmm. But uh, it depends on who's in the seminar. Some great right. graduate students in our program who really push the envelope. <laughs> And did they did the students respond differently to each of the four, four practitioners? I would say yes, yes. Um, different visitors bring different level, levels of energy, different mm-hmm. ways of communicating. Yeah. Well, it must have been fun. And it, it's it's been a wonder, an amazing experience, an and, intense experience. And you say Paolo Bergi is coming. Uh, this he'll be here in our spring quarter, which is uh, April through ah, early so he, June. He's coming just in the next couple of months. Yes. Great. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, I look forward to hearing about that. Yes. Um, 
You've been writing and editing books at, I would say, a rather incredible pace, about one per year for the past seven years. And you've been teaching. Um, how do you do, do this? Uh, give up personal life? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good question. I, I think you have to look at the scope of the publications. And in my mind, the scope is fairly well-defined. These are not broad-ranging tomes that are intended to define the entire practice mm -hmm. and theory of landscape architecture. So the issues being tackled are quite specific. Um, very similar to a design project, you have to go in and move from the thoughtful, observant stage into the conceptual stage mm -hmm. into the schematic and then quickly design development, <laughs> depending on how your project is, the tempo of the project. With the writing projects, I, f I feel in just the same way, I need to move through, you sort of situate it, mm -hmm. what do I want this to say and who's the audience, and then you move as quickly as possible into the little pieces of it, the design development. Those I tackle as methodically as possible. Um, we're doing research for a year, we're doing writing of specific, writing up of specific projects for two months, and then we're writing chapter introductions that are more broad for two months. Mm -hmm. I really pull it apart and do it in pieces, mm -hmm. for better or worse. <laughs> you mentioned that there were monographs, the, the, source, the source books. Yeah. What, um, what makes them different than the, the classic monograph with lots of pictures and very little text. These are, these are certainly more about the process that produced a final product than showing pictures of a final product mm -hmm. itself. Um, and, and I think very importantly, these source books are an opportunity for an audience to have access to the first person. This is not a critic writing about somebody else's work. If you open one of these books, the format immediately presents you with a very lengthy question and answer between mm -hmm. um, myself and the subject matter, and you get their words fairly verbatim. <laughs> <laughs> we massage them a bit, as I'm sure you do here. Uh, <laughs> it's harder to massage these words. <laughs> true, true. But, but it's possible. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, you, As a reader, you get it straight from the mouth of the designer. Mm -hmm. And you, I think, get a point of view that you really don't have access to unless you are fortunate enough to trail this person around for two years and sort of listen to them think out loud. Right. Basically, these monographs hopefully are thinking out loud, recorded. Um, recorded. It's a documentation of a thought process, a design process, a collaborative process between mm -hmm. different design teams. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the end, it's, it's, a, it's a nearly first-person account rather than being filtered through right. somebody else's attitudes. And how are they selling, the source books? The Ken Smith just went into a second printing. Wow, that's which great. Is great. Which is great. Um, uh, the Van Valkenburg is selling well because, um, well, in both cases, these are important designers who don't have a lot of publications out no, there. No, not at all. For them. Surprisingly so. Yeah, surprisingly so. And there's a need for a lot more. Uh, writing on both of their practices, the Peter Walker book. I w w we'll we'll have to see. I mean, he's he's has some great books out on him. This is 
on just one project in National Sculpture Center. So. Will this differ from the other books in that they're more focused? Um, no. Or it's more focused? I think the difference is that there are already uh, a number of books out on on Peter Walker that it's going to be less of a monopoly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, your book, Radical Landscapes, Reinventing Outdoor Space, seems to be a great feeder for some of your teaching in contemporary history and theory of landscape architecture. What inspired you to jump into that? Certainly an interest in the breadth of work out there in contemporary landscape architecture. Um, to spill the beans, <laughs> yes. I will I will tell you, and I hope the publisher doesn't mind, that uh, we had slightly different ideas about what the public would want to read about. Mm-hmm. Um, my interest at the time, and this would have been the late 1990s, was in large-scale strategies for land use. I was really interested in the work, for example, of Michel Corjou, mm-hmm. um, Parc de Saucet. Uh, in presenting this idea to the publisher, they came back with great, like the contemporary bent, can you make it smaller scale, radical gardens. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go on record with saying radical was their word, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we compromised. There's some larger scale works and some smaller scale works. but right. Because there are quite a f- lot of small gardens in there. There are. There are. And that was, that was I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have had the chance to do that research, but that was something that the publisher felt the public was really curious about um, the larger scale works of what I innately had research interests mm-hmm. in. When do we see your book on the larger scale works? Uh, not for a while. I'm sick of doing books. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in five years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I'm looking at stuff, but I'm not going to publish a big book. So after the Grant Jones uh, source book, you have no new books on your no, list. No, I, I refuse to write more books after that for <laughs> quite a while. <laughs> what do you think will be taking up your free time? <laughs> uh, I have kept my fingers in a small critical design practice. I would mm-hmm. like to have that piece of the pie regrow back to its original um, proportional place in my life. <laughs> Has it shrunk since you're practicing with Dan Kiley? Uh, well, different stages. Practicing with Dan, I was a design, I was a worker bee in his office, mm-hmm. design associate over time. Um, full-time. Full-time, yeah. Uh, so not really my own work, just learning so much from him as a mentor. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I moved to Colorado and, and we, my partner and I at the time, were able to really delve into figure out what it meant as as you and Christina have had to do figure out what it means to run your own practice and try mm-hmm. to get your own clients. We probably spent I probably spent about 50% of my time on the design side and about 50% on other things a lot of which was writing and some mm-hmm. of which was lecturing things like that. The partner spent most of his time on the design side and more of the marketing mm-hmm. for the firm. Mm-hmm. And presently, your your firm, how is it structured? Myself. <laughs> uh, I pull in graduate students when I'm entering into competitions. There is no dedicated staff. Um, I collaborate, uh, had a great collaboration with actually somebody here in Columbus on a, a competition last fall. Mm-hmm. So I say it's structured as a one-woman show, um, mm-hmm. but it, it grows as it would need to, depending on the situation. Do you see that changing? 
Yes, I, I would love to get one employee, mm-hmm. full-time employee. An accountant. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> Somebody's a great designer and an accountant. <laughs> Which doesn't happen, ever. <laughs> um, Ivo doesn't do your books? <laughs> <laughs> no, neither <laughs> Ivo, Hugo, or nor Sylvan. Um, how would your how would you characterize your transition from the office of Dan Kiley to either teaching or independent professional practice? Because you worked for the office of Dan Kiley over a period of five or six years. Uh, about five years. Mm-hmm. The transition, I would say, well, it's one thing to work for an office that's world renowned and has great offers for projects coming in the door every single day Mm -hmm. and to be learning from somebody whose design thinking has such clarity and then to move (laughs) to trying to promote your own practice people don't bring in great projects to the door every day Uh, the clarity of the design uh, intentions are you know being worked out every day so I won't say it was an abrupt transition but certainly a dramatic transition Mm -hmm. uh a less dramatic transition from focusing on uh, practice versus coming into teaching and mm-hmm. teaching and practicing and writing at the same time. That was a more, uh, more was, I guess, smooth and obvious transition mm-hmm. using a lot of the same skill sets. Mm-hmm. And what was the atmosphere in his office? And was 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 he a teacher? Uh, he was. And, uh, <laughs> an inadvertent teacher, I will say. Mm-hmm. You couldn't help but learn from Dan Kiley. Such a ebullient personality. Um, he was not an intellectual, had no interest in people respecting his, uh, his intelligence. Mm-hmm. He had a great need for people to respect his design output. And I think as an older practitioner, he was less willing to negotiate on that. He really mm-hmm. wanted respect for his first idea or his second idea. He didn't want to go back and forth with a client or back and forth with an employee on <clears throat> the finer mm-hmm. aspects of any project. Did you lose many clients that way? Um, in my time there, maybe a few, but but I think most of the people coming through the door towards the end of his practice knew what they were getting. Mm-hmm. Um, they were paying uh, a, a good fee to get an extremely well-defined take on mm-hmm. site design, uh, landscape architecture. W- working for Dan, I, uh, I think I, I said this or wrote this once after he passed away. It was like being in summer camp and school and in some sort of wacky green world film all at the same time. <laughs> the office was in a very isolated, beautiful place in northern Vermont. So you entered in across a boardwalk each day into this Dan and his wife Anne, the Dan and Anne world, <laughs> <laughs> and emerged back into the real world at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, actually, I think Dan's world might have been more of the real world. <laughs> <laughs> what was his role in the office? Was he there every day? In, in my time, and again, that was towards the end of his practice, he was there every single day mm-hmm. and had a very, uh, very active role in client management, uh, well, communicating the bigger design ideas, not the day-to-day management of a project. Uh, he was very active every day with clients and with us as we as we drew up the projects, developed the details of the projects. After I left in 98, I know that he went through a series of illnesses and was mm-hmm. less involved and less and less involved. And Peter Meyer, 
um, who was the leading design associate in the office for at least the past decade or more, really ran mm -hmm. a lot of the projects. And then obviously before my time there and Peter Meyer's time there, Dan had an entire career of extremely hands-on mm -hmm. practice with, with a very important partners from Peter Shout to um, Peter Kerr Walker, Henry Arnold, all sorts of names that are familiar mm -hmm. to us now. Jane Amidon is an assistant professor of landscape architecture in the Ohio State University Noten School of Architecture. She's also a principal of Amidon Design Communication. You co-authored Dan Kiley's monograph. What inspired him to make this move and put his work together? I think he was hesitant. I think he'd been getting offers from editors for decades. Um, he was really, I think, nervous. To th that he was very nervous about the idea of anybody defining his work, intellectualizing his work, critiquing his work. But there came a time which happened to coincide with the end of his career. <laughs> and uh, I think there came a time where he felt the need to document what mm -hmm. he had done. He has a son, Timothy Kiley, mm -hmm. who is in publishing. I believe he's at MIT Press. Um, probably Timothy's familiarity with the publishing world made Dan more comfortable with the idea of publishing his work. Um, and then w when I came into the office, I, I worked as a design associate, but also I, well, in that role, I wrote a lot of project descriptions for ongoing projects, and, and I think there was a click between the way I wrote and the way that he wanted to read about his work. And I had interest and time because he was paying me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it was the right time for him, and I think I just luckily walked into the right place at the right mm -hmm. time. Was it a, um, a fruitful experience? It was, it was wonderful. It was incredible. I, I would, you know, once-in-a-lifetime experience mm -hmm. to hear somebody of that design experience, design stature, talk about his life's work. Mm -hmm. um, I had, as a graduate student, gotten a, a grant um, with the help of Michael Van Valkenburg to record a series of interviews with Kylie. Um, so I had hours and hours of that already on tape. Um, I went for an NEA grant to create a traveling exhibition off of that. Mm -hmm. Of course, it was a year when they stopped giving grants to individuals. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that material was, was very useful in, in putting the book together. But in addition to that, Dan and I set one day aside, one afternoon aside every week, mm -hmm. and just drank coffee, talked about his projects. I would pre-select four or five important projects, get all the images out for him, all the project files. I would have, I would prepare certain questions. He'd tell me his story, which was always the same about the project. I'd try to get different <laughs> facts out of him. Get the other story. Yes. He's famous for giving the same lecture always for you know, the past 30 mm -hmm. years. So I, I was trying to get more information out of him than, than the Did you break him? script. <laughs> Probably not. No. Um, on some projects, but not in general. <laughs> He's too wily. <laughs> These interviews, were they, they were audio interviews? Yes, yeah. Are they of good quality? Yes, they're, they're actually... Are they accessible? They are. I need to... I'm uh, Mary Daniels mm -hmm. at the Francis Loeb Library Special Collections mm -hmm. is going to be archiving them along with a lot of other Kylie paraphernalia. Do you know that his house burned down? in his no. office last when? summer. 
Was there more? A tragedy. His house and studio. All the project files. A lot of the drawings. So we're going through, well, hopefully there will be a process of collecting information Mm -hmm. from everyone who's worked with him. Mm -hmm. Wow. What a tragedy. Yes. Tragedy. A real tragedy. A loss to scholars who Mm -hmm. are sort of waiting to get their hands on those project files. Is there some is there some of his work in the Loeb library Drawings. already? Drawings. But no, there's no, I mean, he had fat files in every project, right. major project that we'd like to know the truth about, not just the Dan Kiley spin. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Change of course. Tell us, what are you work, working on now in your private practice? Good question. Um, or in the recent past. Okay. Uh, in the recent past, I've worked on a, two competitions that were a lot of fun. I'm actually facing one right now. It was for a waterfront zone in Massachusetts. We didn't win, but I, I loved some of the concepts that we came up with. It was, uh, we tried to do an estuary arboretum, an estuetum, mm-hmm. <laughs> and use the, the campus. This is the competition uh, in Buzzards Bay. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, we also... Uh, a different team, we entered a competition for brownfields redevelopment um, along a major riverway here in Ohio. We were one of the five finalists for that, mm-hmm. which was great. Who else w- was on the team? Um, what was the A local architecture firm, Jonathan Barnes, and mm-hmm. a local architect, Carla Trott. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a fun one. We got along great, and mm-hmm. it was short term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're more painful because you have to work so hard, but then you're done with it. <laughs> right. I'm hoping to, I've been working with a local architecture firm on uh, a project, a new headquarters for the 4-H organization. Um, they are going to have their new headquarters here on the OSU campus, mm-hmm. and this firm designed the building. It's the first geothermal-powered building mm-hmm. uh, in this area, and I did a site design for it. We're going into, hopefully, finally into construction Keep your fingers crossed. Mm, great. This summer, next fall. And does the how does the garden or landscape of this geothermal powered building um, um, respond to the building itself? That's a good question. It's I struggle with training that I got under Kylie. Mm-hmm. The beauty of the simplest interlocked structures in the landscape, the clarity of those spaces. I struggle with that because to me, in the end, its content is empty. Mm. It doesn't mean anything. Very aggressively means nothing. Mm. Kylie would have ripped your head off if you had (laughs) tried to create a storyline or meaning mm-hmm. for his work. It was all all about structure and space. Mm-hmm. So that rings very strongly in my head, but I'm somebody with a training in history, and it's all about the story for me. I want to know why land is used in the way it's used, mm-hmm. what, it, what it means to us now, what it will mean to us in the future. Add into this mix the importance of ecological considerations. And I, I don't want to pigeonhole it by saying I'm interested in sustainability. Mm-hmm. It's, a, I think, a, I hope a larger question about how we can bring design plus ecology into 
a working format. Every, a lot of people are struggling with this question right now. Um, so this landscape, I would say, is sort of a fusion between structurally uh, the clarity of, of modernism, <laughs> mm -hmm. but in terms of content, hopefully it, it carries some sort of, I'm going to say, impressions of res resiliency or impressions of its grounding in its local ecology. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you get very bold, broad terraces of turf that step down one to the next, but then the edging for that is crushed stone, crushed tile with a meadow ribbon running along it. So you sort of get a juxtaposition of incredible clarity against something that's messier. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I don't know which is framing which, but I hope that they're clearly not the same thing. Mm -hmm. You tell me you struggle. Um, do you feel you have a responsibility or a burden to innovate, to come up with something new? Hmm. I'm, I'm afraid of the word new, possibly because of <laughs> writing a book called Radical Landscapes. I, I think those terms are dangerous. I, I guess my intention would never be to create something new, but rather to create something that is intelligently and meaningfully an outgrowth of something I've observed, something that I care about, something I think is important culturally or environmentally. So... New for newness sake, don't care about it. New because it's getting at something that's significant or important or consequential. Mm -hmm. Yes. Struggle, <laughs> of course. I would, Always. Do you struggle in your designs? Always. <laughs> Always. It's torture. Yes. At least you have a, well, I think you develop a working relationship with a design, somebody you've designed with over time that you, you can trust their critique or you know that you're bouncing off one another in a consistent way. So we have more time to struggle. <laughs> <laughs> we struggle together. <laughs> Always. Good, good. Um, how do you juggle your roles as professor, researcher, and practitioner? It's, it's something that I, I think a lot of people do, especially if, if your primary anchor is academia, you, you have to juggle. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to just teach. And I think the best teachers don't want to simply teach. I came into this backwards. I did not intend to go into academia. Mm -hmm. So I think I might try to juggle not more, but higher. <laughs> I, I try to throw the balls a little bit higher so I have more time in between before they land again to work with the one that's in my hand. Right. <laughs> so uh, in terms of multitasking, I guess I guess I'll go back to the answer that I gave you for writing too many books in a short span of time, I, I try to take the tasks that I see in front of me for a week, break them apart into doable pieces. Mm -hmm. I try to see where the overlaps are. If I'm teaching a graduate level seminar studio, can we cover material that I also personally am interested in for a design project? Can we then also write about that? Or if I'm giving a lecture, can we lecture about that? So a link between the research, the writing, the teaching, the designing is, I think, important for survival. And that's a strategy that probably most academics mm -hmm. go for. Does the students affect your work? Definitely. The, their students ask really insightful questions. 
the good students. <laughs> Actually, the bad students ask really good questions too. They just don't follow up on, <laughs> on, uh, on their own thinking. Yeah, the students have a certain amount of impact. Um, I, I guess for me, it's mostly they play a role of wall that I bounce things off of. Mm. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm interested in their reactions to ideas about contemporary landscape architecture. Mm. I'm sort of surprised sometimes by the lack of interest they have in trying to figure out what's going, what's happening, what's next. They're, they're, they want to know what just happened. They want to know what's hot right now. But they're not really letting that lead in their own brain to what's next. Mm -hmm. uh, as I think probably practitioners are. I mean, I think we're all concerned with what am I going to do next? Mm -hmm. How does my work fit in with what 10 years from now we're going to look back on as a certain movement in design in the mid-aughts? The next is always curious because it depends so much on what what happened last and because the time frame, at least in the con world of construction, can be so long and drawn out. Yes. What is getting constructed now is not at all what's happening next because it <laughs> happened such a long time ago. It is so true. And then when it opens, people say, oh, bravo, bravo, <laughs> bravo. Uh, and you're sort of like, I don't even remember why I did what I did there. It was five years ago. <laughs> Hopefully there's more. It hangs, you're working together more than that. But. Right. Okay. We're going to finish up with best and worst. Uh-oh. Starting with, starting with worst. Do you have any reoccurring gripes about your daily practice research or teaching? Not enough time, which is probably the gripe that many people have. Um, time and technology, I'll say. I wish mm. that I had better technological skills to get my ideas immediately out of my head and into a coherent graphic and verbal format. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. If, if I had a true year off, I would immerse myself in coursework for six months and then do nothing for six months other than clear the brain. Look at the dust <laughs> yes. of the window. Yes. And best, what do you really enjoy about your multitasking career? Just that. The multitasking really can be a beautiful thing. It really, it really is a circle that feeds itself. What you speak about with students can become something that you start researching, which becomes a design idea. It's just a... I feel extremely lucky to be able to have linkages across a variety of things that interest me. I guess, um, and, I'll, and I'll say that time is, well, it's a con, it's also a pro in what I do. Um, I enjoy the rhythm of design projects, writing projects, and teaching in that they're incredibly intense for a short or long length of time, mm -hmm. and then there's a breather space. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those people that needs that breather space, mm -hmm. so I don't know how to say that concisely, but the time, the rhythm of multitasking, teaching, research, writing, designing really works for me. That's great. Well, Jane, I think this is... This is all the time we this have. This is all the time we have in today's, <laughs> today's telegram. We want to thank you for joining us. It's been great uh, having you here on the show and been wonderful to talk to you about your source books and your other books and your... And you didn't ask one question, which was uh, back in 
the mid-90s. Yes. Uh, at Harvard, you and I had the <laughs> wonderful opportunity to work on the revived series. Of studio the works. studio works. Yes. And um, that really was, I don't know about you, but for me that was that was really an inspiring experience. And I thought that um, <clears throat> the process of collecting and editing work and then seeing it get published was mm-hmm. something pretty... So that was a springboard experience. I would say that was a uh, galvanizing experience, <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow, that's great. Yes. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I wish you guys the best of luck. I think this is a great idea. <laughs> Thanks. We don't know if we're totally whacked or not. I guess we're, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to find out soon. I'll enough. say I hope whacked enough that it works. <laughs> <laughs> Jane Amidon is an assistant professor of landscape architecture in the Ohio State University Norton School of Architecture. She's also a principal of Amadon Design Communication. Thank you for joining us for the fourth dispatch of Terragrams. To find out more about Terragrams and sign up for our next deliveries, please visit our website at www.terragrams.com or subscribe to us using iTunes. Terragrams is made possible with the help of the School of Architecture and the Robertson Digital Media Lab at the University of Virginia. Find out more about their programs at www.virginia.edu. And finally, special thanks, of course, to the books for their wonderful and very cool music. You can expose yourself to more of the books at www.thebooks.com. I'm Craig Verzone, and this concludes the fourth delivery of Terragrams.